You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Looking at an Old Testament uh, judge named Gideon. And his story is found in the Old Testament book of of Judges, you have the first five books of the Bible, then Joshua, and then Judges. And Gideon was one of 12 judges. He was actually the fifth um, judge. And uh, the book of Judges occurs over about a 325-year period of time. And throughout that time, God used 12 judges to kind of deliver his people from their enemies. Now, a judge is not the same kind of a judge as we think of in terms of, of today, a judge who kind of sits behind uh, and, and judges cases, listens to evidence, renders verdicts. Um, that's the, what we kind of think about when we hear that word judge. But in the Old Testament, and especially back in the days of judges, a judge wasn't like that. A judge was more kind of a deliverer. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, maybe they would be better described as, as a warrior. Um, and so uh, this is uh, Gideon's story occurs there in the book of Judges, and we can find that specifically in chapter 6 through 8. Now, one of the points that we kind of covered um, last week, again, is just this reoccurring theme and scenario that we find not just throughout the history of the nation of Israel, but we see this very pattern and scenario kind of played out over and over. And again, it, it necessitated the need for judges, for deliverers in uh, the, that 325 period. And that was, there were times where Israel was faithful and they served and they worshiped the God of Israel. They were obedient, they prospered, they were blessed. And then for whatever reason, there would come a point where maybe they just got comfortable in their relationship with God. Maybe they, they started taking their blessings, uh, the, the, the ways that God was moving among them. They began to take that for granted. They began to kind of uh, you know look away and begin to entertain other options out there. And then it wasn't long that the nation of Israel would would kind of forsake the God of Israel and they would turn to and begin to worship and serve other pagan gods and particularly the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. And I kind of talked in great detail about those pagan gods, what they were like, what they required, uh, what the end result was uh, that it did to the nation of Israel. And it really led them into great bondage and, and sin and, and rebellion. And so we, we just saw this reoccurring pattern over and over. And it would get so bad for the nation of Israel that they would just kind of begin to cry out for deliverance from their enemies because it would become so oppressive and and it would just result in cruelty and, and death and all kinds of destruction within the nation of Israel. And they would just reach a tipping point where they would just begin to cry out to God and say, God, deliver us from this. And so God would raise up, and specifically there in the book of Judges, he would raise up a deliverer who would come and, and God would use this individual to conquer their enemies and allow them to return uh, back to worshiping the God of Israel. Now, again, unfortunately, this never lasted long. And there would just come a time where the judge would, would um, 
pass away and it would, the scripture says it very quickly, the people would once again just return to uh, their pagan gods and their false idols. And so you have this scenario reoccurring 12 different times throughout um, the book of Judges and uh, God would raise up judges to deliver them from their oppression, from their enemies, from their bondage. And, and Gideon was one of those judges those deliverers. Again, uh, Deborah uh, was a judge. Samson was a judge. Those are kind of a few of the more memorable judges uh, there uh, in the book of Judges. As a matter of fact, uh, Judges chapter 6, the start of Gideon's story kind of uh, um, starts there in chapter 6. And we find the nation of Israel has kind of entered into their seventh year of being invaded and oppressed by their enemy, the Midianites. And so these opening verses from chapter six kind of give us an idea of what that was like at the end of that seven years. And it says, the Israelites did evil in the, in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Again, this is that pattern that we find repeated throughout the nation of Israel. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, raiders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camel too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then again, as true to form, this again, part of that pattern, there just comes a tipping point where the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet or a judge or a deliverer to the Israelites. And so there in chapter six, this is kind of where we are introduced or we meet Gideon. And it says that he's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. And like I said last week, he's doing this because he knows if any of the Midianites or the enemies of Israel see this, they're going to come in and they're going to rob him of that wheat. They're going to come and take it from him. So he goes to a place to do this where he is hidden. Now, I believe Gideon, again, is, is one of the few Israelites. He was a, a faithful man of God. He did not give himself over to the pagan worship, the false gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. And again, I think it's one of the reasons the angel appears to him and wants to use him to deliver the, the nation of Israel from the cruelty and oppression of the Midianites. And again, one of the encouragements I take away from this particular point in Gideon's story is how the Lord continued to provide for Gideon uh, his needs while the nation of Israel uh, was being occupied and oppressed by the Midianites. Now, again, I don't know how it was that Gideon was able to have this wheat. Uh, did he grow it? Where did he find it? How did he come upon this? We really don't know. All we know is that while the rest of the nation, 
of Israel that was unfaithful to God was suffering, Gideon was being blessed and prosperous because he stayed true to his worship of the one true God. And so God provided for his needs. Now, again, that's an encouragement to me because it says to me, no matter how dark things may get for God's people, and I'm not just talking about us in this country, but no matter how dark things get for God's people, God always has a plan. God always has a way. God always has a provision uh, for his people. And so Gideon kind of finds himself, uh, again, being provided for in the midst of Israel's judgment. Now, again, I, I just, I find that interesting. And I, again, believe that Gideon was a part of that, that faithful remnant um, of Jewish people who were not worshiping the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. And, and God provided for Gideon as well as others who put their faith and trust in the Lord. So again, no matter how bad things may get, and we see many, many bad things unfolding in our country. Some of that I talked about last week. And again, if we remain committed to God, he has a way of providing and prospering us so that our needs uh, are met. And we see this throughout scripture. Now in Judges chapter uh, six, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he says, oh, mighty warrior. Now some of your translations may say, oh, courageous warrior. He says, the Lord is with you. Gideon responds by saying in verse 13, he says, if the Lord is with us, what has happened to us? And where are all of the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Now, again, I think that's kind of an interesting response on Gideon's part. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, you know, greetings, uh, oh, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And you kind of get this sense that Gideon kind of responds out of a place of disappointment and frustration over maybe the ways that God has been uh, moving or the lack of movement of God within the nation of Israel. And, and he kind of cites the current predicament and he, he seems to um, not acknowledge um, or, or understand why the things are happening in the nation of Israel at that point. He kind of seems to be maybe oblivious to that. And, and he kind of goes back into the history and he, and he says, where is this God that delivered his people from Egypt? Where was, where's this God that seems to care for his people? And he kind of accuses God of maybe not living up to his promises or his past reputation. He kind of is, is maybe accusing God of not being faithful in who he is. And again, he doesn't seem to recognize or acknowledging that the situation they're in, the, the oppression of the Midianites is largely because of their sin, their rebellion and their abandonment. Of God, And he seems to kind of have glossed over that or, or he doesn't seem to connect the dots as to why things are happening in the nation of Israel um, the, the way they are. And that's the mistake a lot of people make. We think we can just do whatever we want 
Um, no matter the sin, no matter how hurtful or painful, no matter the pride or the arrogance, it doesn't seem to make any difference the sins uh, in which we uh, act out of. We kind of just think that, you know, God needs to kind of just overlook uh, that or that we just need to be able to kind of, you know, do that or to act that way and just completely get away with it with no consequences. And the thing that we learn about God is God is patient, but there also comes a point where, where God's patience kind of reaches an end. And, and God decides, okay, it's time to deal with this. It's time to deal with this nation. It's time to deal with this situation. And what we come to kind of understand is, while we may kind of give ourselves, you know, a break or we may kind of feel like what's happening is not a big deal. God doesn't work that way. And the kingdom of God does not work that way. It's kind of what we come to know uh, as the sower reaper principle. What you sow, you reap. You know, you sow kindness, you reap kindness. You sow love, you reap love. You know, you, you sow pride, you're going you're gonna to reap judgment. You, you sow unkindness, you're going to reap unkindness. So again, it, it's, it's that, that sower-reaper principle. And so the nation of Israel has been acting in unfaithfulness. They've been acting in sin and rebellion toward God. And God reacted, God responded with judgment and painful consequences. So again, yes, God is patient, but there comes a point where God will not allow the consequences of our sinful actions to come upon us. Now, the angel of the Lord responds to Gideon's statement in verse 14, where he says, you know, again, oh, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. We see Gideon's response. And yet I find the angel's response back to him interesting. Then the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go with the might you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But, Gideon responds, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you. Again, that's the second time we hear that. It says, Almighty oh, warrior, the Lord is with you. And again, he's reminded, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting one man. Now, I touched on this last week. Let me just quickly mention this again. I want to just ask you a question. Do you feel like at the end of the seven year period, here's Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid uh, of what the Midianites will do if they see him doing this? Did Gideon feel like a mighty warrior at that time? I, I think not. I think he was scared. I think he was frustrated. You see that frustration in, in his response to God initially. I'm sure he's disappointed. I'm sure he's disillusioned. What is going on? Where is God in the midst of this? And again, this comes at the end of a seven-year brutal invasion. And I think Gideon may have felt more like a scared rabbit at that point than a mighty warrior. Again, we know he's frustrated, he's disappointed, maybe even a little angry with God. And then Gideon kind of basically really kind of admits where his heart 
and how he sees himself. He says, I'm the least of my tribe. I am the least of my family. And I get the sense he did not see himself at all as a mighty warrior. And as I stated last week, the angel of the Lord sees something in Gideon that Gideon does not see in himself. That in God's eyes, from God's perspective, while Gideon is this very, very fearful man hiding away in a wine press, longing for the days of his ancestors, God sees in him the potential to be a courageous and a mighty warrior. And I love the angel's response to Gideon. Go with the might you have. I will be with you. The angel of the Lord basically kind of sees the potential in Gideon, kind of sees this mighty warrior, this courageous one, and he basically says, go with what you've got and I'll make up the difference. I will be with you. No matter how much might Gideon may or may not have had, God sees the potential. And then he adds to that, go with what you've got and I'll make up the difference in that I will be with you. Same is true for us. God sees things in us, potentials, destinies, strengths, giftings um, that we don't always see in ourselves or we don't see them to the potential that God does. But what God would say to us this morning is go in what you've got. Go with what you have. I will be with you. So you may be here this morning and you maybe you have a little faith. And Jesus was very clear that with a little faith, the size of a mustard seed, he said, you can say to this mountain, go and it will be removed and thrown into the sea. So you may be here this morning with a little faith. And what God would say to you this morning is go with what you've got. I will be with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know, you've got maybe a, a little um, courage. God would say to you this morning, go with what you got. I will be with you. And so the question for us this morning is, what have we got? What do we have that, that maybe we don't see to the potential that God does? That God wants to kind of instill in us, this is how I see you. This is who you are. This is what I've given you. These are your strengths, your potentials, your, your, your giftings. Go with what you've got and I will be with you. Or we can just continue to be like Gideon and, and we kind of just hide away. We kind of live in denial. Or maybe we're kind of like Gideon and we're living in, in, in kind of fear, intimidation. We're frustrated. And rather than asking God, how do you want to use me? Again, we're kind of saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? And again, God's response to us in those moments oftentimes is, go in the might, the strength, the courage, the faith, the love, Go with the, you know, 
gift of leadership or giving, whatever it is that God has given you, go with what you've got and God will make up the difference in that he will be with you. And what we're gonna find is it wasn't until Gideon went that he begins to see how much God really was with him in all of that. So it's interesting then, kind of in that directive, Gideon's response to God is kind of like, well, I kind of like a sign for you to show me to prove that you are going to be with me. And so God basically kind of gives in, in the book of the chapter six, he kind of gives Gideon three separate times or three separate encounters um, in which God uses it as a confirmation that it was indeed God who was speaking to him and calling him to go. Now, the first time involves uh, an offering. God tells him to go and, and to get an offering, to sacrifice an offering. Uh, so he goes and he gets an a, a offering and he brings the meat and the broth and the bread. And the Lord told him to lay it there on the altar and then to take the broth and to kind of just pour it over the meat and the bread. And as Gideon did that, it says that the angel touched that and the fire from heaven um, consumed that. I, I kind of read that sometimes. It's just really easy to kind of gloss over that. But put yourself in that position. I mean, if you ever saw God do something like that, I don't know about you. I don't know that I would need any other confirmation or sign beyond that. I've never, ever seen God do something like that. But God does that there for Gideon. And again, it's a pretty awesome confirmation. And yet Gideon would go on to ask God for two more signs. And we'll get to those in just a second. Now, it's interesting that after that very first sign, Gideon gets an opportunity to put the promises of God to be with him to a test. And following this sign, the Lord tells Gideon to go and to tear down the altars of Baal and the Asheroth pole his father had erected. Now his father's leading uh, the nation of Israel at that time. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to destroy that altar of Baal. I want you to tear down the Asheroth pole. As a matter of fact, he takes that, he kind of chops it up into uh, um, wood and he burns uh, the pole. And in its place, he said, I want you to build an altar to the Lord and I want you to sacrifice an animal upon it. And so Gideon goes and he does exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. Now, Gideon understood this is his father's altar. This is the, his father's Asherah pole. There may have been others uh, in there. Gideon recognizes that um, he's basically confronting two very, very powerful um, entities at that point. He's not only just uh, attacking the spiritual, he's also going after the governmental. Because in the nation of Israel, their, their religious life and their governmental life were always intertwined. 
And, and so oftentimes, a lot of their, their, their government, the way that they organized themselves, the way that they would bring about justice, uh, all of that was based upon the, their spiritual life. So there was a lot of intertwining there. And so people saw the, uh, the altar, they saw that Asherah pole. It wasn't just a religious statement, it was also a political or a governmental statement as well. And again, because they're very, very intertwined. I think the same is true in our culture today. I think it's impossible to separate out uh, church from state. You know, oftentimes believers are, are accused of allowing their, their religion or their beliefs about God to infiltrate, you know, their, their beliefs or their policies. Well, the same is true for a person who doesn't believe in God. I mean, much of what they're, they're, you know, proposing or trying to enact in, into law or into culture, it's based upon their beliefs. It's based upon uh, their values. And so everybody does that, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, much of what you do say and believe, it comes out of your, your beliefs and your values. And so Gideon, when he goes to, uh, to do this, he's not only dismantling the, the, the spiritual stuff that was happening there. He's also uh, dismantling governmental, political things there. And that's why the, the response of what Gideon does um, was so um, vicious. I mean, that they wanted to kill him after they discovered what they'd done because it wasn't just attack on, on their religion. It was also an attack on their government. Um, and so Gideon has this great opportunity to put this promise of God, I will be with you to the test. He says, this is what I want you to go. Gideon goes um, and he does it. And um, again, I believe this is a very, um, very thought through. Gideon understood exactly what he was uh, doing, what God was asking him uh, to do in order to begin that process of leading the nation of Israel out of idol worship. You got to destroy um, what the people were worshiping in order to uh, introduce uh, or to lead them into um, a new place of worship uh, with God. So he goes, he destroys the one, and then he creates the other. Now, I, I see that it, it, as an act of repentance on Gideon's part. And repentance, really, it, it involves both an individual um, as well as corporate repentance. And I kind of talked about this a I, 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 little bit last week, that as, as a nation, we have to repent um, of, our, of our evil ways. Uh, we have to, again, we've got to do that individually. We also have to do that corporately. And so what we see here in Gideon's response is both an individual and a corporate um, response. He goes and, and destroys the, the, the false religion, and then he, he begins to introduce um, into the return of the nation of Israel back to God. And, and so, um, again, as I said, the people wake up the next morning. They see that these altars have been destroyed in their place. There is a new altar sacrifice being made. They begin to say, who did this? They figure out it was Gideon. They go to Joash, his father, and says, we want his head. We want him dead. 
And Joash's response is basically, well, if the God of Baal is, is so powerful, if the God of Baal is so mighty, why not just let the God of Baal exact his own um, revenge? And so basically nothing happens um, to Gideon. And so again, I think that there has to be in any nation what Gideon did there, there has to be what I would call an individual repentance as well as a corporate repentance. And so when people say to me, you know, well, well, what should we do? Well, well, I'll get into a little bit of what Gideon did as I think he kind of walks out that individual repentance. And it's out of that individual repentance that he's able to begin to lead people into a corporate repentance. You can't do it the other way around. Um, it starts by individually each of us repenting of our own sins, um, of our own rebellion against God, and then going in what we've been given, being faithful to God, being available to God, um, and, and allowing God to use us in whatever way he can that would lead to a more corporate form of repentance. And again, both are necessary. And again, I believe in tearing down that false altar of Baal, the, the Asheroth pole. Again, I believe it is his individual show of repentance. And in that, he, he reestablishes or he rebuilds an altar to the Lord, offers a sacrifice on that. Uh, the, the people wake up, the, the, the you know, nation basically wakes up and sees that there's been a change. There's been a shift. Something has been destroyed. Something has been put in its place. And then the people have to respond. So it's out of that individual repentance that, that people are brought to a point where they realize a shift, a change has occurred. What is going to be our response to that? And we see that their response is basically um, to allow what Gideon did um, to stand. So again, don't ever underestimate the power of individual forms of repentance. God could be using that to lead to a corporate response of repentance. Now, I want to just touch on really quickly um, the story of Gideon and his fleece. Um, and one of the things I admire about Gideon in, in what he's doing is he wants to make absolutely sure that he is correctly following, that he's understanding, that he's hearing God's will. And we read this beginning in verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue the nation of Israel, as you have promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool of fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early in the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Now, again, I don't know that I was a Christian for very long that I had heard somebody kind of talk about putting out fleeces. 
You know, and they would use that as a way to kind of discern God's will for their life. I mean, this is back, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago that I would hear people often talk about, well, let's just put a fleece out. And this is the story that they base that upon. And at the time, I thought, wow, that sounds really amazing um, that we, you know, have ways to be able to discern God's will. And so, um, you know, we would kind of do fleeces a lot. And I would hear people talk about that, and, and I would do that, and, and never realizing that this is the only place in Scripture where the use of a fleece was really um, ever used to discern or to determine God's will in a situation. Had I realized that at the time, I might have kind of come at this with a little bit more caution that maybe this isn't the way that we kind of operate throughout life. But I was pretty new in the faith and thought this sounded good. If it worked for Gideon, it ought to work for me. And so uh, there for a while, it was just kind of like we were just constantly putting out all kinds of different fleeces in different ways. And again, um, although God honored Gideon's test with the fleece, there's just no other place in Scripture where we are given or encouraged to use this method to discern God's will. On the other hand, since it worked for Gideon, it might just be that there are certain times in life or certain situations in life where God might allow us to put out a fleece or to ask for some kind of a sign. Um, so what are some lessons about fleeces we can take from Gideon using this? First of all, I believe Gideon was sincerely, as I said, trying to learn what God wanted from him, what God wanted him to do. What was God's will for him? You stop and think about this. God is, is on the threshold of using Gideon and, and leading him into a very, very fierce battle with a well-equipped, well-armed, well-prepared enemy. And he knew there were lives at stake. And he wanted to be absolutely certain he wasn't getting carried away with his own ego, that he wasn't duping himself or others into thinking he was a greater man uh, than he was. And again, I believe Gideon really wanted to know what God's will was. And I believe it was Gideon's humility. I don't think he's coming out of unbelief I don't think he's coming out of, you know, anything other than humility and faith and wanting to know, um, is this your will for me? Is this what you're calling me to do? So I would say to you, if, if we're going to put out a fleece, we have to make sure that we are being led by a similar humility. Second, by the time Gideon put out this fleece, he already had a track record of obeying God. That's why I said, that's why I believe God had him do what he did there in tearing down the altar and the Ashroth pole. Gideon had a track record of obedience to the Lord. Even before we get into his story there in chapter six, we know that Gideon was faithful. We know that he was a part of that remnant of Israel that never worshiped Baal. And so Gideon had followed God's command to tear down the idols of Baal and his village. And again, it was a dangerous act. And again, Gideon demonstrated his willingness to follow God even when obedience was not easy. So if you put out a fleece, make sure you've got a similar record of obedience in your life. Now, just a word of caution. It will do you no good to put out fleeces 
um, to ask God choices about things you should, about decisions you should never be making in the first place, things that are already contrary to God's will. And I, I'll, I'll tell you a, a story. It's, it's not my story. It's not a story of anybody I know, but it's a story I've heard often repeated. A man told his pastor that he had cheated on his wife. And the man said he and this other woman were in a hotel room together. And before they cheated, it's, pastor said that this man told him that they prayed. And they said, God, if you don't want this woman and I together, then have somebody come and knock on our door by 8.30. Now again, that, that's kind of the, the way fleeces would often be used. And I tell that story is because you should never ever question God's will about matters where God has already clearly instructed us in his word. So don't ask God to do things God says he won't do. Don't ask God to bless things that God said, I won't bless. Many years ago, John Wesley wisely said this. He said, give no place to heated imaginations. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelations to be from God. They may be from him. They may be from the self. They may be from the devil. Try all things by the written word and let all things bow before him. That is good, sound wisdom. Thirdly, don't assume every open door is a door that God has opened. Open doors do not automatically mean that God is the one who opened them. I'll hear this all the time. You know, God's opened a new door. Just because you are offered a new job doesn't mean that God is saying to you, quit the job you have and take this one. And just because you have a chance meeting with someone, it doesn't mean that this is God's choice of a relationship for you. Just because you get accepted maybe into a new program doesn't mean this is God's choice for your career. Again, the, the, the enemy uses similar tactics to kind of get us off course. And I find believers oftentimes just railroaded and, and they're just constantly changing direction and, and courses um, in life. And they're, they're, just, they're just zigzagging through life. They have no real purpose. They're, there's just nothing happening. They're just constantly in a, in a, in a flux of change. And, and again, oftentimes the devil uses those. Again, it's just ways of getting us off track. So how do you know if it's God's will or not? Well, it comes from staying in a close relationship with God. If you're far from God, then it's going to be very, very easy for your life to become far from God. If, you're, if your relationship with God is distant, it's going to be very, very easy for your choices in life to distance you from God. So knowing God's will comes by staying in close relationship with God. Fleeces, signs do not work well if your walk with God hasn't been consistent. Guidance is first of all a relationship with the guide. Gideon wasn't given an open door. It's quite the opposite. And we'll kind of start getting into that next week. Doors seem to be closing for uh, Gideon. 
Israel's enemies were um, amassing troops. They were preparing to attack the nation of Israel. Gideon had few men out of which to form an army, and those that he did have seemed very, very poorly equipped. And so no doors had really opened for Gideon, so to speak. As a matter of fact, as you read the story, it kind of seems like all of these doors are closing. And it was in that situation that, that Gideon kind of puts out this fleece. Okay, God, I don't, I don't want to look at I don't want to look at what I'm seeing I, I, and, and just take that at face value. So he puts out this sign because, God, if I'm looking at what's happening and taking all this at face value, I don't want to go. I, I, this just doesn't seem the right thing to do. It doesn't seem the right time. So he puts these signs out to say, God, if you're telling me to go, if you're calling me into battle, I need to make sure um, it's you. So in closing, I would just direct you away from fleeces and to direct you instead to faith. Um, although you may or may not be able to put out a fleece, you can always, always uh, build your life um, on faith in Christ. And again, we always want to be more concerned um, about our faith um, than fleeces. Amen? Let me just kind of close this morning. And I, I'm, I just kind of want to ask you this question if God were to come and, and to speak to your heart this morning, uh, despite where maybe you're at in your situation, uh, maybe there's predicaments right now that have you in a place of fear or uncertainty, but, but if God were to come this morning and, and, and just speak to you as that angel of the Lord did to Gideon, and God were to see potential in you, and God were to call that forth this morning, what do you think that that would be? And again, I think oftentimes we are afraid to hear God speak to us because oftentimes we kind of feel like maybe God's going to begin to speak to our inadequacies or our failures or our mistakes. Trust me, what God wants to do this morning is God wants to speak to, he wants to call forth your potential. He wants you to see yourself the way he sees you. And so maybe this morning you're in a place of, of fear and, and maybe you just need peace this morning. And, and, and God would say to you, uh, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and maybe he would call you peacemaker this morning. Or maybe he would call you mountain mover this morning because God sees a potential of faith in you. That if you can just grab hold of that and, and go in what little faith you have and God is with you, God is going to do great and mighty things in you this morning. So God may, may say to you this morning, O son, O daughter of faith, go in what you have. What, what would that be for you this morning? What would God call forth in you this morning? Let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, that again, as our hearts are open to you this morning, and God, oftentimes it's so easy to see ourselves, to define ourselves by the way others see us, by the way others define us, maybe by our past experiences. We come to believe things that are not true. God, I thank you this morning, God, that you see us 
beyond our failures, our mistakes, our struggles, our challenges, the barriers that maybe we or others have put in front of us. In essence, God, we, we sometimes come to believe a lie. We come to believe and see ourselves again the way others do. Or the enemy is in there again telling us lies. And God, we begin to kind of order and walk our lives according to those limitations and those lies. God, I would ask this morning, God, that you would be able to, like you did with Gideon, that God, you see the potential, you see the gifts, you see the abilities in each one of us, God, you put them there, they're from you. And God, this morning, you kind of want to call those forth. You want to identify those in our hearts this morning. to empower us and enable us, Lord, to be able to go in what we have, in what you've given us, in the ways you've equipped us, with that promise, God, that you will be with us. And that is really the determining factor, God. It's not the abilities that we have, God. It's that you're with us, you're in us, you're working through us. God, I pray this morning that that would empower us to kind of be like Gideon, Lord, that we'll rise up in obedience. That God will, will come from a place of, of individual repentance, God. That we're sorry, God, for the lies that we have believed for the limitations we've allowed to be put upon ourselves this morning, God, we repent of that. We repent of listening to other voices in place of your voice. We repent of reading other words and not reading your word. So God, we come in that place of, again of just individual repentance, God, whatever that may look like for us this morning that God, we're sorry that we've limited you, that we've boxed you in. So this morning, Father, we pray like Gideon, Lord, that you'll just again set us free, that we be obedient, willing, courageous to go with what we've got and trust God that you're gonna make up the difference by being with us. Father, I also pray, Lord, just for that spirit of humility. That, Lord, we would just be humble. That we would see ourselves for who we are. And to see you for who you are. And to know that, Lord, Christ in us, that is the hope of glory. So, Father, this morning we thank you for your Holy Spirit which is alive in each one of us this morning, Father. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would bring confirmation of who we are, 
of who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. God, we pray that whatever that is, God, regardless of whatever that is, God, that all we say, all we do, all that we are would be to your glory, to your honor. Lord, we just commit, we submit ourselves. We humble ourselves into that place, in that position this morning. We thank you for the story of Gideon. We thank you for the story of so many in the New Testament who have just said yes to you, surrendered themselves. And God, may we do the same and trust that you will be faithful to lead us, to guide us into all victory. And we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.